Welcome to the podcast. I'm your co-host Morgan Wack, and I'm here with the possibly artificially intelligent Eddie Matthews. How are you doing today, Eddie? Greetings. Is that all, all AI talk? Yeah, that's it. They uh, program that in, so you're not too intimidated. They actually really have the, the the real voice is like really sultry, and it was intimidating for too many people, so they turned it off. What if, what if we wrote a screenplay? that made the blacklist and the screenplay was like AI is aliens. Aliens are AI. Dude, you don't need to aliens put, it, put created... that, type into chat GPT right now, say, write a screenplay about, and then type in that prompt and it will write a screenplay for you with that. All right. We're getting ahead of ourselves. What on earth is chat GPT Morgan? So today's uh, talk is about ChatGPT. This was Eddie's uh, Eddie's topic, um, but it is, I'm sure, most of our listeners because they're very informed uh, will know what ChatGPT is. But uh, just as a quick overview, it's some sort. It's essentially a search bot that uses large quantities of data to simulate intelligence, but can solve a far greater number of tasks than sort of Google search. I don't think it's necessarily competitor for Google search. We can get into that. It's a sort of a different type of thing. Uh, but I think it, what it is known for now is sort of the first form of kind of widely available, popular, I mean, we can call it AI, but popular AI that has actually impacted how people go about their daily work. Yeah. Um... So just to give the listeners also some some context, it's by a company called OpenAI, which apparently is valued at, well, after this was released, valued around $29 billion. Um, and I mean, this company released ChatGBT in November of last year, I believe. Um, and it just has everyone in academia terrified because uh and i don't know if any any other industry feels threatened or if it's just academia do you get a sense that other industries are that's like... weird because i think like most for me i think academia has been the most accommodating from the inside i, I feel like academia seems to be the one of the i would say one of the least worried industries interesting i think it that's has not... much bigger it has much bigger potential to affect outside of academia than within academia mm. what are some of those things that you think it's gonna gonna affect well so and just to give a well before we get into that so what you can do is for free like i just did five minutes ago create an account through chat gpt through the you know open ai's uh, company so you create an account and you go in there and you have your you know <laughs> your left-hand bar, and you can start a new chat. So you click on, all right, I'll start a new chat. And you give it a prompt, and then it will answer your prompt, you know? And so you can do pretty much anything as far as asking what it can do and then just see what its limitations are, you know? So as an example, I said, this is a real... Um, prompt that I give my students for one of their essays in a writing composition class that I teach. 
So write a thesis-driven compare and contrast essay in which you will examine, analyze, and discuss the likenesses and differences between two items, objects, or concepts, etc., and then draw a meaningful conclusion about those items. And then instantaneously, this, you know, this chatbot, this AI wrote, okay, thesis, despite their similarities in being forms of renewable energy, solar power and wind power have distinct differences in terms of cost, efficiency, and impact on the environment that must be considered when determining the most effective sustainable energy solution. And then it goes into the body. Solar power and wind power are both considered forms of renewable energy, meaning they rely on natural resources that are replenished over time and do not deplete the Earth's finite fossil fuel reserves. However, the two technologies have distinct differences that must be considered when determining the most effective sustainable energy solution. One major difference between solar power and wind power is cost. And then it just goes on for another three paragraphs, and then it gives me a conclusion. Uh, it's shorter than it would need to be, you know, for this assignment but reading through this it's like a solid b plus you know you could just say hey extend this and add more detail and make it this many words and it would do it yeah so yeah so i mean i think in terms of the reason why academia gets a lot of light i think in recent is just because it has a very obvious like current use case where a lot of current academia relies on people to write papers or to respond to specific prompts and it's very good at producing undergraduate level work already, like you just explained. And so I think that is one area where it has the most obvious impact. Although I think, at least from what I've seen, the reaction has been to adapt rather quickly and to try to allow students to use ChatGPT um, rather than to kind of steer away and say, don't use it. I don't know if that's been the same on your side of what you've seen, but I think educators have kind of understood this sort of thing was coming for a while and are not necessarily trying to be like, well, we're just going to ban you from using the internet, which isn't really a practical solution. Um, but yeah, I don't know how you see it on your side. I mean, I think that, but that reaction is not kind of just um, a complicit response out of defeat, you know, isn't it like a begrudging, we'll let you use this tool because we have no way of stopping you more than well, let's embrace this tool and build on it for you to be, you know, uh, an even more efficient student and streamline your life. You know, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, think maybe for some mm. people, but I think in a, a lot of times I think it is has seen, I mean, I think the, the creator, one of the heads of the creator team came out and said, we're not going to like stop this from affecting education. We adapted to the calculator and a bunch of people push back saying this is not similar to the calculator, but I actually think it's a decent analogy. I think when you have something at your fingertips that becomes this easy to use, I mean, we've seen other technologies, like who, who knows how to use, like what kids today can pull out a compass and know how to use that or know how to use a, um, what are those things called with the, the little, um, like beads that you move from one side to the other, like an abacus. Uh, none of that. Yeah, stuff. I was just using. I was just using my abacus today. I know you're you're quite a luddite, so you do use your your abacus. You're still against calculators, uh, but I, I yeah, I, I mean, it's not that this has come overnight. Like there have already been tools that help students write essays for a long time. Um, so I'm not. I'm, it's not quite as a discre like as discreet of a cutoff as I think it was pre-post as it's being made out to to seem. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you can get rid of sort of rote knowledge memorization as a part of education, then I think you're doing a lot more learning just uh, as as a kind of a, the essence of what you're trying to get out of your students. So for a long time, when we had an episode on education in academia, where we talked about kind of the, the cutoffs between what people actually learn and what they can actually use at their jobs. And I think teaching people to use these technologies to solve problems is going to be a lot more effective and helpful in the real world than, you know, rote memorization or trying to write an essay without looking anything up uh, would be. So for undergraduate work, rather than having them write essays in response to prompts, you know, which has been the bulk of humanities classes, you know, for as long as, I don't know, academia has been around in this country, at least. Um, what would it look like to, you know, change it from regurgitating your personal experience and then some research that you did to a higher level that's built on the, you know, a baseline foundation of chat GBT taking care of, you know, the structure of an, of a, of an essay or the structure of some sort of like critical response. Well, I think it's the critical part, right? I think we're still trying to figure this out, but I think a lot of people have encouraged students to look up a chat GPT response and then respond to that chat GPT response and say, what do you disagree with? How can you improve the writing? Uh, I, I don't think like, what, what would you say your like daily work? What are like the main two or three tasks that you do? Um, there's kind of two major components of my current job. One, it's very people oriented. And so I run professional development and communities of practice and kind of connect people, you know, with each other across a region of researchers. Mm -hmm. um, so that doesn't really, you know, isn't really impacted by this tool at all. But the other is writing labor market research reports. And so I think this potentially could be super helpful, you know, for, for that part of the job. Because a lot of- For the first part of the job. So the second part of the job, definitely. But for the first part, you're saying you, you connect people like via email or like, how did you, how do you search and find which people to connect and what kind of, what do you speak to them about that sort of thing? Uh, so institutional researchers and faculty members and counselors at the 10 community colleges. So, you know, they're all people that I'm already aware of uh, for the most part, you know? And so I'm emailing and scheduling meetings where I have Zoom meetings, where I have in-person meetings and that kind of thing. So there's already chat GPT models that will respond to all your emails for you in your style and will set up meetings and do all those things, except for the actual in-person part of that. Um, that you can use with chat GPT. So it, I think the, the point is that it extends far beyond just kind of writing essays or responding to things like you would in like a classroom. So you've been using it to respond to emails and schedule meetings? You can have it drafted for you. It'd be like draft an email response to every email I get and then I can choose to send it or edit it or anything like that. Whoa, how has that gone for you? It's fine. It's super helpful when I have emails from students and things that I have it drafted. I can edit it to fit the class and then send it back. Yeah, wow. That's interesting. I think for that type of more or less mindless communication, it will be super helpful. Um, it's interesting. I don't know. It's, it's tricky. So in the humanities, you're kind of allowed to 
um, bring in your personal experience, you know, as far as responding to some work of literature or, um, I mean, at the undergraduate level, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting. I, I'm wondering if a lot of the responses are just going to double down on that rather than trying to make them, um, I don't know, like if it's going to go more the direction of general education, life of the mind, like explore, you know, the big life questions and connect that to your experience rather than we're going to, you know, teach you like uh, new historicism, uh, literary analysis at the undergraduate level. And we're going to write prompts, you know, for you to do that just because I, I put in a different prompt. Um, I'm just curious. I said for this assignment, you'll write a three, four page paper. Focus, thesis-driven narrative essay in MLA format, which you'll describe an event from firsthand experience and then draw a meaningful conclusion about the event that makes your writing worth your time. So I was curious, like, if it's something from firsthand or, like, personal experience and this is an AI, like, what would it then produce, you know? Did you say, like, and, say, oh, write it as if you were a 17-year-old American immigrant or, you know, from South Korea or something? No. Yeah, you can say but, stuff like that. Or say, do it in the style of Ezra Klein, you know? Okay, so you're saying it, it's very good at, like, aping voices that are either well-known or, at, like, approximating certain identities and what would emerge from that? Yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily key code, it sounds like, because you can essentially have it mimic anything you want. Hmm. But I think that's a helpful, you know, metaphor, or I guess descriptor of what this tool is. It's kind of, it's mimicking rather than creating, right? It's like, it's aggregating it's not creating, right? I mean, I think the, the thing is, I mean, this is the first version that I think has gone public and we've just seen like billions of dollars invested in the aftermath because it got so popular. I think a lot of people like other technologies focus on what it can't do or the things, like I see a lot of people in, in graduate school and stuff are like, oh, but this wouldn't you know, be able to pass at a top journal. It's like, okay, it's not supposed to, it can approximate undergraduate students that's great. And if you use it as correctly, you can get it to help you with, you know, graduate level papers as much as you want. Um, I think that the, the more, like, I think the creative side, I think is fascinating. I mean, I wish we had, I mean, I know you're, you're a writer, so maybe you can speak to this more than me. I think what approximates creativity, like a beautiful poem that it writes, is it in some way, like, would you deem it lesser because it's, it is mimicking or would you see it as like, you know, a beautiful poem because it's taking what was beautiful from the original artist and putting it into the material? If ChatGBT were to create something? Like it can create poems, any, like just, I mean, ask it to create a new poem by some great poet and it'll create one for you right now. Um, but well, I, I mean, like that. you're saying, well, like, what sh should we say? Who's your favorite, who's your favorite uh, poet or writer? You could do well, a short story by Borges. See if we can write a Borges story. That might be tough. <laughs> no, no. I'm wondering if we could do um, somebody like a poet that um, 
everybody would be uh, like Robert Frost, you know, like sure. let's, yeah. let's ask it to do a poem in the voice of Robert, in the voice of Robert Frost or just yeah, what, the... what, what topic do you want it to, to be about? Do a, a poem in the voice of Robert Frost about the woods. Cause he's always writing about the woods, you know? Yeah. Let's see what it, let's see what it comes up with. Okay. <laughs> this is really fascinating just because the i don't know i've only really heard this tool referenced in terms of responses to essays so i've never thought about it creating art or poetry or whatever you know mm-hmm. so here's so here's the prompt i gave do a poem in the voice of robert frost about the woods should i just read the it's like a yeah, first it's read, five it's read it for us. yeah 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 okay or just read a couple stanzas if you want. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so whose woods these are, I think I know. His voice is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. I think it's just quoting, you know, uh well it says this poem stopping by woods so it got confused i think it just quoted this poem stopping by woods on a snowy evening this is written so maybe instead of of the voice of maybe try can you write a poem by robert frost in the style of robert frost about our new poem maybe say just a new poem in the style of robert frost about the snow or something Let's try that. Can you write a new poem in the style of Robert Frost about the woods? It, it's funny because it has to think more. You know, I can just see yeah, it. It's yeah. starting to like take longer <laughs> to like generate. Um, <laughs> okay, this is interesting. Okay, so that's the prompt I gave it. The forest stands so tall and grand, a natural cathedral grand. The trees they reach for heaven's door, their leaves a rustling hymn adore. <laughs> the mossy ground, a velvet green, a secret world yet to be seen. The sun it filters through the leaves, a dappled light the forest weaves. Like, this is, it's a bad poem, but it has kind of like, it's, I don't know. It's like if a, uh, a freshman uh, college student in English who was reading a bunch of Robert Frost tried to like do one, you know? Yeah. So I think that it has, is, the, I mean, it was, it has it the, a basic rhyme yeah. scheme and it has the theme that I gave it. And it's just a very simple kind of yeah, regurgitation of those two details. You know. Ask a more complicated thing then. Be like, write me, uh, you know, a, a paragraph about the woods in the style of James Joyce's Ulysses, or something like that. <laughs> or we could do David Foster Wallace or something. Sure, sure. Uh, that would be interesting. Say something insightful that uh, you know. What would what would David Foster Wallace say about you know in his voice? Please explain to me, and then say something. Please explain to me the meaning of the cosmos in the voice of David Foster Wallace. I think it might get confused on the voice, so maybe try like a different yeah. thing, like in the like, in the uh, style. 
Yeah, yeah. I'll say the meaning of the universe. Explain to me the meaning of the universe. Is anyone going to listen to this and be interested? (laughs) I mean, we're going to get into some interesting stuff here in a second. So I think this is like the, the, like just use cases, things that everyone knows they can kind of do, but then we'll talk about some of the, the other things as well. Gabe Foster Wallace was known for his complex and dense writing style that often explored the nature of reality and the human experience. He frequently wrote about the difficulty. So it's basically like a literary analysis of, you know, general, the generic style of DFW. And I so think I think that, this is a good example of like, essentially this is what students will have to learn to do. It's like the way that some people are good at using Google search to find things and other people could use Google and not find because they're not as good at using Google search. I think this is yeah. exactly what's going to be happening with these types of tools. It's going to be, there are going to be people whose lives and ability to find things and to search things become much more efficient because of tools like ChatGPT um, than other people who either find it difficult or don't adopt it early enough. Um, yeah, because I mean, I think if you ask that question the right way, it will write you exactly what you want. You just have to be able to maneuver within ChatGPT correctly. So like ways, things that I use it for now, I'll write like an abstract to one of my essays and I'll be like, create five different versions of this with different things. And I'll go through and see which things I like that it generated and improve my abstract. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm, it's fascinating, you know? Like for it's, sure. I've never, I've never interacted with a tool like this before. So I'm so just, I think this um, is like, these are like the like basic level things. I think the things that are much more potentially kind of economy shifting, and we can talk about what we think the actual like long-term impacts be, are things like coding, where you could, as like someone, I've seen examples yeah. of people who don't know how to code, who could be like, create me an app that will, you know, take my diet intake and make sure I stick to a specific diet and remind me, and it will create an app that's like accessible on the Apple store that you didn't need to code at all yourself. Or That's you can wild. put code into it and be like, create something. And so that sort of thing I think is going to get a lot better. Uh, and if I was in those types of industries, I would be very worried and definitely be using this tool a lot so that I knew how best kind of use it compatibly and rather than antagonistically. Um, yeah. yeah, well, I, I don't know. I guess my prediction of the future job market of like the next 25 years with AI becoming not just, you know, chat GPT, but just AI in all its forms becoming so pervasive in so many industries is that a lot of the software engineering jobs that are high paying and high demand, you know, right now that all these students are graduating into and all these students are encouraged to major in, those are going to go away. And the humanities are going to have, I, I know I'm like incredibly biased when I say this, but the humanities is going to have a resurgence in the sense of, well, if they're teaching the humanities, right, in terms of the soft skills, right, and communication, human communication. And I think those jobs are going to be more um, available. And then the candidates who display like a high level of soft skills, I think will be extremely uh, in demand when AI makes a lot of these industries not maybe totally redundant, but compromises a lot of um, 
what they used to have to go to a human being for the basic just you know nuts and bolts skill set you know technical skill set yeah no for sure i mean i think the the interesting thing is i think maybe even 10 years ago the general thought was that ai and kind of automation they were kind of thrown together and it was that it was going to take out low tier kind of entry-level jobs or like low-end kind of working jobs uh, minimum wage jobs that sort of thing and it was going to be kind of this mass displacement that we already saw throughout the kind of 70s 80s and 90s with low depressed wages in these types of industries and i think that the change has been that a lot of the the things that these new ai bots are good at like the art ones that can kind of simulate art at the touch of a button or any scene you want they're incredibly good at doing like bad work but in very like high skill industries and i think they're only going to get better at that right and so it's actually the jobs that are in at risk are jobs that require highly technical skills that can be automated like coding i think coding is the perfect example because coding is a huge barrier to a lot of people who would like to create things in the online economy, but it requires lots of technical skills. And I think when these tools get good enough where ordinary people don't necessarily need to know how to code very well, they just need to be able to use a tool like this to serve as kind of a coding assistant, suddenly far more people can create in these spaces. And so I see it not as, I would say, rather than being overwhelmed or underwhelmed by the tech, I'm, I'm whelmed. I think that it live, lives up to some- I'm whelmed? I'm, I'm whelmed. I think it lives up to some of the expectations that people say. I think some of the stuff is, is overstated, but I do think that what it shows is that this is only going to become like very central to the way people work in the next 20 years. Revolutionize the way we work economically i'm not sure it'll have the same impact as people suspect i don't think it's i think it's more of an incremental innovation like the internet was um where it just improves efficiency it doesn't necessarily like create new industries but i think the efficiency gains here could be exponential um and so yeah i think it's it's fascinating and i think there's also huge problems so we haven't really talked about the downsides like the ability to create mass propaganda at the touch of a button or to the fact yeah. that it lies all the time uh, but I think that yeah. the potential here is massive for it to kind of undermine a lot of what we do on like a day-to-day -day basis. Because most of what we do is, even in like the highest skill industries, is a lot of not high skill things like answering emails or responding to meetings or writing up briefs. And I think all of that stuff could potentially be made far, far less time consuming. Um, and if nothing else, that will eliminate a lot of jobs, a lot of bullshit jobs that just rely on general knowledge or that pretty much anybody could fill in and do uh, with, you know, writing skills and reading skills. Yeah, I mean, not everybody has writing skills and reading skills. <laughs> Dude, I'm right here, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, um, I spent like a week editing this report from it was written by like four or five phd researchers and it was the most incomprehensible just unnecessarily dense one of just like the worst reports i'd ever read like, this is bad guys <laughs> um but no i think your point's taken um 
Dude, so this is the side of thing. You could put, you should have put that report into ChatGPT and said like, dumb this down for a lay audience and it would have created something for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think this is going to be like my, um, yeah, I don't know. The next time I like meet up with my team, I think we should talk about how can we use this to make our report at it, save all of us time and energy and free us up to do like better, more meaningful things like implementation rather than just report creation. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. How many how, how much material of yours did you have to feed chat GBT before it kind of nailed your voice and could answer basic emails and that kind of thing? I mean, it's not really, the thing is you don't really need it to nail like an email form. It kind of, you give it a couple emails. You're like, you know, this is the setup. I like fill in some general responses. You only needed like three emails and it will generate something that you can edit. That's just saves you a bunch of time inputting. And I think in that way you could, I mean, there's probably a way to have done exactly that prior to chat GPT. Like I'm sure there are, you could have created, you know, a response bot that works with Google Gmail that fills in. It's just so much more complicated. And so I think it's a perfect example of like, you could have done that if you're good enough at coding and now you don't need to be good at coding, right? <laughs> you can just train it to do that without necessarily having a knowledge of JavaScript or something like that. I think that's the type of thing. I think there are a lot of use cases for things that you can't even, you don't even think of as being automatable because mm. it did require slight creativity that these types of tools, so maybe not this generation, but the next generation or the generation after will be able to do in a way that completely and fundamentally shifts sort of like what we do at a like hour to hour basis. Yeah. I know that, um, you know, I read about this years ago, so it's not like it's groundbreaking technology. I think it's been widely used in China for a while, but um, this uh, like chat, AI chat bot therapy, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought that that is, it's also fascinating. Therapy is not something that you would think that artificial intelligence could, you know, make an impact on. But the data show that, you know, versus no, when it's compared against no therapy, like it's much better, you know, even if it's just an AI chat and kind of, um, like wrote responses that are it really does make people feel listened to which is fascinating i don't know there's just it's always interesting kind of coming across a tool like this and we really don't know if this is a watershed moment or if this is just kind of like a minor incremental improvement and then you know what i'm saying so i'll split the needle i think like i said before i think it's a massive incremental improvement I don't think it's, it's like a new, I don't think it's necessarily like a radical shift in how we work or the jobs we work, but I think it's a radical shift in the way we do the jobs that we do now. I mean, if it becomes widely used, I think right now it's just a fraction of the country is even aware of this. And then a fraction of those who are aware of it actually use it. So I think if, if it becomes where it's like, oh my God, fit 60% of people are using this to d- daily in their work. That's like, yeah, that's insane. That's a, that's a massive amount. But 
Well, I, I, time will tell, I think, if it actually becomes widely used. I mean, if it gives, it depends how much of an advantage I think it gives people over people who aren't using it, right? Like yeah. if it suddenly takes somebody, you know, an afternoon to write a full report and it takes you a week like it would now, then people are going to have to adopt it or <laughs> they're going to fall behind, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Um It'd be interesting to see too, you know, I've gotten, you're actually, when we were in Mexico, me and Johnny were blown away by how good you were with directions and remembering where we were and like what streets to take off, you know, to take and everything. I've never been good with driving directions. And I, I assume that I've become even worse with it as I've become more reliant on Google maps, you know, on my phone. And so I'm curious uh, this is like a, a very basic critique, but it's kind of like if kids are introduced this tool at the elementary school level, are they going to just build up the real basics? You know, are they ever going to learn how to do it themselves in a way that, I don't know, what, what would be potentially be sacrificing if they never learn the five paragraph essay and what how to generate a thesis statement and these kinds of things yeah i mean i think that the the way it's going if i had to guess is that you don't really need to right like what what is the the like is there an, an, an innate benefit to being able to be you know good with a sense of direction if you ha always have an iphone on you um Hmm. I guess it. I guess if you're in major cities, or not even in major cities, but just places where there's cell reception, then yeah, I guess it doesn't matter. And except for fringe cases where like your phone dies, or I don't know. I just. I guess I need to think through it more because the analogy would be, why do we need? five paragraph why do we need that um skill set yeah anymore? like why would like, you need to made. know how to write a thesis statement if yeah. everybody can create one at the you know the touch of a computer key um maybe this will just may i don't know so maybe we'll be able to develop other skill sets use that time to develop other skill sets that are really necessary too like asking the right questions because it seems like this tool is really dependent on you asking for the right thing in order for the um, product to get the product that you need. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, in the best version, it sort of helps us redefine education. It gets rid of a lot of the stuff that pretty much everyone can do that just takes time or learning or you know training but doesn't actually have any inherent benefit, right? If we could all get rid of all the rote portions and just focus on the creative things or just focus on solving problems, and it would help us with, you know, solutions or proposed solutions that we can pick through. I think, like I said, it's not going to solve or create new things. I mean, we don't know. There's other things besides chatbots that these AIs are coming out with, but it might save us so much time on these minor things that it, you know, redefines what we're focusing on. 
Okay, so I just asked ChatGBT, what is the podcast Rational-ish? <laughs> and it it said, I'm not aware of a pod- podcast <laughs> called Rational-ish. It's the name is not familiar to me. <laughs> My training is not included under this name. There are many podcasts out there, and it's possible this is a new or lesser known one. Unbelievable. How dare wow. they? This is obviously a flaw in the system. So this is this is fucked up. To be fair, it only has knowledge of pre-2021. Like it was trained up until 2021. Oh. And we've already seen we in the last couple of years. So it's we possible. It's yeah. possible that that's the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you you heard it here first, listeners. Chat GPT is coming for your jobs. Morgan said it's going to automate all industries and unemployment's going to rise above What'd you say? 35%? I just asked ChatGPT. I was like, hey, how many jobs are you going to take out? And it was like 22 million. So I just used that. Yeah. Wouldn't that be terrifying if like once in a while it was like had some sort of persona, you know? It's like, this is how you synthesize nuclear weapons. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the propaganda thing, that's, um, I mean, I don't know what kind of screening OpenAI, the the parent company of this is doing, but you think about just like all the cybersecurity stuff that's been happening with Russia over the last several years, you know, I imagine they would have a field day with this. I mean, it's similar to the internet, I think, like efficiency gains are efficiency gains no matter you know, what people's intent, right? So if, you're, if your goal is to become better at writing college essays, I think it'll be helpful. If your goal is to spread mass propaganda, I think it'll probably be helpful, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, that's why we're talking about it because it has a lot of use cases. Not all of them are going to be positive. Yeah. Well, we're all in it together. That's what's important. Actually, mine just says you're not in it. It says it's going to kick you off soon. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. It's just specifically you. It's like I listened to Rationalish after Eddie asked me, and I'm not into it. <laughs> it's so, going to kick me off ChatGBT or it's going to kick yeah, me off this podcast? I think You're it sounds like it's it? going to kick you out of life. It sounds like it's going to show up at your house in human form. So oh, better geez. watch yourself. Better right. watch yourself. Jeez, I sure hope not. <laughs> All right. I remember well, uh, what? Oh, I remember. I think it was a Vice News reporter or something, and they um, went to this Chinese company who contracts with the government to um, put cameras everywhere. You know, because in China the surveillance is so insane that there's just cameras mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, this company is like one of the contractors, I guess, for that company. And the company's named like Deathlink or the thing from Terminator. What's it called? Uh, Skynet. Skynet is the one. Skynet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think he just named it, yeah, Skynet. And then the reporter's like, yeah, but isn't Skynet like the evil company that kills people in Terminator? And he's like, ah, I love Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> like it was completely lost on him, you know, apparently. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah. Anyhow, AI, 
uh, I don't know, just use in moderation, let's say. We should have got it to write this. We could have got it to write half of this episode. It would have been a lot more cohesive, probably. But, uh, you know, well, we're I, still I'll living in the past. To, well, I don't know. I was going to say I'll just I'll use this to write all the um, uh, episode kind of show notes, you know, and the recaps yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But it could never, it could never be as funny as I would be in those show notes. <laughs> That's true. Let's wait. Let me try this one last time before we go. Please write a humorous introduction. Introduction to a podcast about the benefits and drawbacks of chat GPT. You ready for this? Yeah. All right. Wait. Uh, one second. It logged me out while I was. Uh, what are all these? Answer. Well, while we're vamping, I said I yeah. asked it, please tell me a funny joke, and it said, "Why did the tomato turn red? Because it saw the salad dressing." <laughs> Ask it to write you a joke about a specific thing, and it'll write you a joke. Well, to be funny, it was a it was a pretty funny joke. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, if you're still listening, you don't have to. You can log <laughs> off now. All right, you I ready? said, please. Oh, sorry, oh, go ahead. No, I just said, please tell me a George Carlin joke. And then it said, have you ever noticed that anyone driving slower than you is an idiot and anyone going faster than you is a maniac? And then it quoted George Carlin and then it gave like a little paragraph about George Carlin. Weird. Nice. Are right, you, re- you ready for this? So I just said, write, please write a humorous introduction to a podcast about ChatGPT's benefits and drawbacks. <laughs> so are you ready for this? Says, yeah. Welcome to the ChatGPT Astrophic Podcast. <laughs> We're oh. discussing the highs and lows of the mighty ChatGPT. <laughs> From its impressive language capabilities to its occasional bouts of robot rebellion, we'll be diving deep into the world of this powerful AI. So sit back, relax, and prepare for some laughs as we explore the good, the bad, and the downright hilarious aspects of working with ChatGPT. That is good. <laughs> actually, guys, use that. that. Actually, that, that was that was GPT Eddie's. Really? Yeah, that was actually Eddie's uh, draft in the in the notes that we have. So. Uh, <laughs> no, no, but you you just you wrote that up or ChatGPT did? Because exactly. like it's so. It sounded like you, like, I mean, ChatGPT astrophic is pretty, pretty good stuff. So you know, I don't want to take credit where it's not due. But, uh, gold. I feel like if if they use a couple better puns, that is in the ballpark. You know, <laughs> true, true. Someday, I mean, if it, they just trained it on this podcast, they would have had those. I would imagine. Yeah, we can do puns now, like pros. So yeah. that's on them. That's on them. I'd imagine by the next update, they'll have trained it on all our podcasts. Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. I I can't imagine what the venture capitalists, you know, funding is going to go into this sector. But OpenAI can't be the only you know company working on. No, this no, there's type tons. Of- I pretty much. I mean, Google has invested billions. There's there's all kinds of. There'll be many, many different versions of this, but I think more interestingly, different things that aren't chatbots that are, I think more along the lines yeah. of the coding where it's like, 
coding bots that can write code for you, translate code into other languages, that sort of thing. Yeah, for all we know, you know, Google's had this uh, type of capability that they could have released to the public, and they've just been sitting on it for years, you know, because they still want people to to Google search everything. And I don't know, who knows? Maybe they have one that's just been creating all of Google content for years, so they didn't release it to the public, so they can get away with it. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Adios, listeners. Adios, rational listeners. Until next time. Bye. Bye.